This is from the series by Christopher Love on uh, making sure our effectual calling, and otherwise titled as our assurance. <coughs> and uh, this is sermon number 10, <coughs> 2 Peter 1.10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. The doctrine I am yet upon, drawn from these words, is this, that Christians ought to put forth a great deal of diligence to make this sure to their souls that they are effectually called by Jesus Christ. In the prosecution of which I have handled many particulars, I now come in the close of this point to make a particular use of all that hath been said and pass on to that other branch to make your election sure. And the use I shall speak of shall only be an, an use of exhortation and direction. My exhortation shall be directed to two sorts of men. First, to them that do enjoy and are assured of their effectual calling, who are called and are assured that they are so. Secondly, to them that have sometime enjoyed this assurance, but now have lost or eclipsed the comfortable feeling of their assurance. Into these two heads I shall branch my discourse. And first, the exhortation or counsel I am to give is to them that are assured of their effectual calling and have done the work the Apostle here enjoins them that have made sure their vocation and by unquestionable evidence can say so. And these I would advise to three particular duties. First, you should be directed rightly to use your assurance. Second, carefully to preserve your assurance. And thirdly, daily to improve your assurance. This is the threefold task that lies upon you that enjoy this rich jewel of, of assurance. First, you are to take care that you rightly use and manage your assurance. A thing hardly gotten, if it be not well managed, a man may enjoy it in a way of loss to himself. To use assurance well is the great art of a Christian. And here, that I might speak distinctly to this direction, I shall lay down eight particulars as concomitants or gracious qualifications which must accompany you in a condition of assurance. First, you must use and manage your assurance with humility in case you use it well. Assured Christians must be humble Christians. The more high you are in comforts, the more low you should be in spirit. You know the fullest ears of corn hang down their head the lowest. When light and flashy darnel that hath nothing of worth in it lifts up its head on high. Assured Christians, they are like your full and ripe ears of corn. The more full they are of this fruit of the Spirit, assurance, the more low uh, do they and should they hang down their heads. It is your empty barrels that make a noise when your full vessels, though you strike them, will not sound. It is those Christians that are most empty of faith and the most empty of assurance that make the most noise and are most proud of their gifts and graces. When you're assured Christians, they're like vessels full of the best liquor 
and make the least noise. The fuller God hath filled you with his comfort, the more you should shine forth in humility. As Paul, when he saith Christ loved him and gave himself for him, when he was most full of comforts, he was most filled with humility and said, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Secondly, you must manage your assurance with a high valuation of the comforts of God in you. A man that hath received a benefit, if he do not value it, it is a provocation to the man that gave it, either to repent of his gift or take it away. David, when he had assurance, mark how he values it. Psalm 63.3 Thy loving kindness is better than life. He valued the comforts of his God and the shinings of God's countenance better than life. And Psalm 4, 6, Lift thou the light of thy countenance upon me, and that shall more glad me than when my corn and wine and oil increaseth. David would more value the comforts of God's spirit than any other comfort in the world. Assured Christians that use assurance rightly they must put a high valuation and worth upon it. And the reason is because you will not then easily part with your assurance for a base and beggarly lust and for a fruitless sin if once you know the value and worth of it. Thirdly, your assurance must make you to live with a weaned heart from the comforts of this world. Second Corinthians 4, the last verse, compared with chapter 5 verse 1 the apostle tells you we do not look after things that are seen that are temporal what made the apostle not to look after worldly things he gives the reason for when this house of ours is dissolved we have a dwelling with God eternal in the heavens as if he should say that's the reason we do not look after the world as worldly men do for we know that when we leave this world, we have a heaven to go to. The assurance of the blessedness of their future being did make them undervalue the world as a thing not worthy the glance of the eye. Persons that have assurance can say, as Philip said to Christ, John 14:8, Show us, saith Philip, the Father, and that's, and it suffices us. Thus saith a gracious heart, O sweet Jesus, show us but thy favor, assure but my soul that thy Father is a reconciled Father to me in thyself, that he is my Father as well as thy Father. Show me but the Father, and it sufficeth me. Though I have little or nothing in the world, this shall suffice me. Gracious hearts that live in the enjoyment of assurance they ought to live with a weaned heart from the comforts of this world. Men that have tasted honey or some other sweet morsel, they do distaste all other things, though of themselves very pleasant. So men that have tasted of this honey of God's love and the sweetness of his grace and assurance, it will make them distaste and disrelish all the things of this world, though of themselves pleasant and good. If a man look on the sun, it dazzles his eyes that he cannot discern colors about him. So he that beholds the light of God's countenance will not look upon things here below. 
I may allude to that place, Luke 5:39. No man, saith Christ, having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. His meaning is this, no man that hath had a taste of Jesus Christ and hath had communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ and lain under the ministry of Jesus Christ, no man that hath drunk of this old wine will say the new is better. To have other comforts and other pleasures is better. No man will say this, saith Christ. And so he compares his ministry and his doctrine and the comforts uh, comfort God's people have thereby to old wine. Beloved, so I say, men that have drunk drafts of this wine of consolation and men that are settledly assured and have had a taste that the Lord is gracious, no man will now say that the world is better and the comforts below better. No, the assurance of God's love would uh, should wean a man's heart from all the comforts of the world. As old Jacob said when he saw his son Joseph in his old age, after he had made many a prayer and shed many a tear, Oh, Joseph, my son, is yet alive, I have enough. As was the carriage of Jacob to Joseph, the same should be the carriage of a Christian towards Christ. If he can say, My Joseph, my Jesus, is alive in my heart, I having him, I have enough. This comfort should ravish his spirit. Paul, when he was wrapped up into the third heaven, was so transported that he knew not whether he was in the body or no. So are the people of God, ravished with heavenly consolations, that they made not that they mind not these earthly things. It is a speech that Bernard hath, that to whomsoever Jesus Christ once becomes sweet, that he can taste the sweetness of his love and the sweetness of his mercy, the sweetness in Christ's love, will embitter the world to him. Fourthly, you are to manage and use your assurance with tenderness of conscience against sin. Assured Christians should be tender conscienced Christians. Psalm 85.8, God will speak peace to his people, but mark the duty. They must not turn again unto folly. They must not run again into sin. They must be tender of sin, and then God will speak peace to his people. Sin, as I once told you, will be like wind in the bowels of the earth. Philosophers say earthquakes and ruptures are occasioned by wind got into the bowels and caverns of the earth, which having no place for vent, it overturns mountains and buildings. Beloved, sin in the heart will do the like. It will make the heart quake and tremble. If it be there, it will prove the grave of thy comforts and the resurrection of thy fears. Therefore, Christians that are assured, they must take heed of sin. They would keep their comforts. They must keep their hearts that sin get not into their consciences. Beloved, they that are assured Christians, they know how Difficultly, they did attain this assurance. And they know how sweetly they enjoy this assurance. And that will make them very tender that they do not lose a thing so hardly gotten and fully enjoyed for a trivial lust. That they lose not their former evidences and revive former terrors.
Fifthly, assurance must be managed with patience in bearing any outward affliction that you may meet with in the world. Assured Christians must be patient Christians. Hebrews 10.34, they suffered joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing that they had in heaven a better and more enduring substance. And that made the saints of God touch and scorn at all the losses they met with in the world. Suppose a man be at sea and have precious jewels and pearls aboard with him. If the man be but sure, he shall save his own life and save his jewels. But though he lose the cask, though he lose the box, that will not much trouble him. Thou that art, thou that art sure of heaven, thou canst never lose that pearl thy soul. Thou mayest lose the shell thy life, Thou mayest lose the casket, thou shalt never lose the jewel. And shalt that trouble thee? If thou art an assured Christian, be sure, whatever storm of temptation blow upon thee, thou shalt only lose the box, and never lose the pearl. This, therefore, should make assured Christians to be patient Christians, whatever they shall undergo here in the world. I have read a story in Fox, his Acts and Monuments, of a woman when she came to be tried for her religion before Bonner, that bloody bishop, he threatened her. He would take away her husband from her. And saith she, Christ is my husband. I will take away thy child. Christ, saith she, is better to me than ten sons. I will strip thee, saith he, of all thy outward comforts. Yea, but Christ is mine, and you cannot strip him, uh, strip me of him, says she. The thoughts of this bore up the woman's heart. Spoil her of all, and take away all. Yet Christ was hers, and they could not take him away. O oh, beloved, when thy soul lives in the assurance of God's love, and of thy calling to grace and glory, this shall make you wonderful patient to endure at whatever you shall meet with here below. It was the speech of that famous servant of God, Holy Bradford, when a company of his fellow prisoners were that morning to go to be burnt. Saith Bradford, O my fellow sufferers, be cheerful, for though we are all of us to have a bitter breakfast, yet truly we shall have a cheerful dinner. Here notice how assured Christians in their comforts to God did so transport their hearts that it made them overlook and with patience bear all afflictions they were to meet with. You have a remarkable phrase in Isaiah 33:34: The inhabitants of Zion shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. A strange passage. He does not say that they were not sick, but the text saith they should not say so. And what's the reason? Why should the people forget their sorrows and forget their pains? This should make them the Lord had forgiven them their iniquities. The sense of pardon took away the sense of pain. And beloved, Christians should walk thus to show that trouble should not daunt them and afflictions never startle them. You that are assured Christians, you should be patient Christians under all sufferings. And take this for a rule that God takes impatience 
more unkindly at assured Christians' hands than at the hands of any men in the world besides. Because if God give thee assurance, he hath given thee a seal in thine own breast that all shall work for thy good, and thou and wilt thou be impatient? He hath given thee a seal in thine own breast that heaven shall make amends for all. And wilt thou be angry? God will take this more unkindly at them than at any. Sixthly, assurance should be managed with endeared love to Jesus Christ. Assured Christians should be Christ-loving Christians. When Christ told Mary Magdalene, Thy sins, which are many, are forgiven thee. When she had assurance, her sins were pardoned. What saith Christ? Much was forgiven her, therefore she loved much. Because she was sensible, much was forgiven her. She would show forth much love to Jesus Christ. And the reason is because it was Christ's love brought those Christians into a state of salvation. And his love, likewise, that gave them assurance of their own call. And this should endear their hearts to Jesus Christ. Seventhly, assurance should be managed with abundance of compassion towards those Christians that are tempted and troubled by Satan. Assured Christians should be compassionate Christians. If God have given you assurance of his love, you should carry compassionate breasts towards your brethren who remain behind in great distress and perplexity that lie tossed and turmoil by temptations. When a ship is brought safe to the haven, if they have any bowels, when they see another ship in the main ocean struggling for life in the midst of the waters, they will pity them. You that have got assurance, you are come to a safe harbor, but your tempted brethren, they are tossed upon the waves and tempests of temptation. You should now have a compassionate heart towards tempted Christians. Second Corinthians 1.4, the apostle tells us, The Lord hath comforted us, comforted us in all our tribulation, that we might comfort others with the same comforts wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. It was the work and task of the apostle and them with him that they, having comforts and assurance from God, they would labor to comfort others and bear up others and establish others that they might rejoice and receive the same comforts with themselves. Hence you read in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Be pitiful, be compassionate to your brethren, love as brethren. Now upon what ground doth the apostle press this compassion? Read verse 9. Knowing, saith he, that as you are hereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. As if he should say, upon this ground I woo you to be compassionate, because you are called to inherit a blessing. That is, you know and are assured that you are a blessed people, and you should be a saved people. Therefore have compassion on your brethren who are tempted and troubled. You might bring them to the same pitch of comfort you were brought to. Eighthly, assurance should be managed with cheerfulness of heart. Assured Christians should be cheerful Christians. We read Nehemiah 2, 1 and 3, that Nehemiah, all the while he was before the face of the king and in the presence of the king, the text saith Nehemiah, for a long time was not sad. The king's presence did so cheer up Nehemiah's heart. 
now to this I would allude, if the presence and face of King Artaxerxes did make Nehemiah that for a long time he was not sad before him, well, how much more should the face of God and the presence of God in a man's soul and the favor of God towards a man, how much more should this keep thee from being sad in God's presence from a lumpish and melancholy and sad spirit? Thou art in the presence of a king, in the favor of God, and this should keep thee from being sad and heavy. None in the world have greater grounds of joy than those that live in a constant assurance of the love of God towards them. It's for condemned men that are condemned to the gallows to hang down their heads and wring their hands. But let the pardoned people of the Lord rejoice. The man that is condemned, he hangs down his head. But the man that comes pardoned from the bar, with what a cheerful countenance will that man come. You are all a people pardoned by your God. You may well be a rejoicing people. I remember a passage I have read in D. Hall's works in his uh, meditation upon the creature speaking of a little bird called Robin Redbreast that when he was in his study came chirping at the window and leaping upon his book and singing a great while together. Upon this sight he breaks out into this contemplation. Oh, this little silly bird that doth not know where to pick up the next crumb that doth not know where to pitch and rest itself for the next night. Yet behold how cheerfully doth this bird sing when man, and a Christian man, that knows God to be his father, that hath not only crumbs of outward blessings, but whole morsels of inward comfort, and can drink draughts of inward consolation. Christians that have a God and a heaven, that have Christ, and glory if they cannot be merry as a poor bird can be and truly it is a good meditation many times people that are called by Jesus Christ and have ground and assurance of their everlasting happiness by him yet they cannot be so merry as a poor bird will be birds in the morning will be chirping and singing as if nothing lay at the heart when a Christian is sad and vexing and wearying out his life in discontents and sorrows, this becomes not a Christian. Assured Christians, they should be cheerful Christians. Ninthly, assured Christians, they should be thankful Christians. For one to give a man a promise, it is worth thanks, but when a man shall not only give, but assure that promise that he will make it good, that is more thankworthy. <coughs> Beloved, if God had only promised you a heaven and had given no assurance, it was thankworthy. But when God shall give thee this broad seal that shall seal thee up unto the day of redemption, and when God shall give thee an assurance in thine own breast that thou shalt go to heaven and go to God, this should much more make thee in thy spirit. Bless thy God. It is speech of the prophet David my soul, bless thou the Lord for his marvelous loving kindness. Thou hast kindness, and thou hast marvelous loving kindness. My soul, bless God for this. David would not keep back God's praises 
seeing, God would not keep back David's comforts. In heaven, we shall break forth into admiration because we have good things in possession. Here, we should break forth into thanksgiving because we have them in expectation. And thus I have done with the first part of my direction to you that are assured Christians, you should labor first rightly to use your assurance. Secondly, all you that are assured Christians, you are to be directed carefully to keep and preserve your assurance. There is no less skill, saith the poet, to be put forth in keeping virtue than in getting of it. It is said of Hannibal, he was a skillful soldier to get victories, but he had no skill to keep them when gotten. Maybe said so of us, Christians can get assurance, but they have not the skill to keep it when they have gotten it. This therefore I am now to press, that you would be careful to preserve your assurance. And here in speaking of this, I shall lay down two particulars, that in case you would keep your assurance, there are some things you must do some things you must avoid and take heed of. First, there are some things you must do. Those I shall comprise under two or three heads. First, in case you would keep assurance, you are to keep close in communion with your God. In the exercise of the duty of godliness, the more you keep grace, the more you will keep uh, your comforts. And here, uh, that I may branch out this direction, I shall comprise these duties under four heads and show you from scripture that keeping close to God in the use of our duties will be a ready way to keep your assurance in you. First, keep close to God in the duty of prayer. John 16, 24. Ask, saith Christ, and your joy shall be full. Ask that your joy may be full. Implying that if you keep close to God in the duty of prayer after assurance, your spirits shall be complete and full. Secondly, keep close to God in the duty of reading the word often. By often reading the word, you shall often meet with promises and supports for your comfort. That's the reason men lessen in comforts, because men do not frequently read the word. You cannot read a chapter, but you will find there a prop for faith and a prop for assurance. Keep constant to the word, and that's the way to keep your assurance. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written to you that believe that you might know that you have eternal life. These things have I written not only that you might have life, that you might know it. By reading the writings of John, John tells them that they might the better know they should live forever and everlastingly be saved keep close to God in reading his written word and this will be of great use because there are promises scattered throughout the veins of scripture not a scripture almost you can read but there is a promise or a support for your faith one way or another thirdly keep close to God in a constant and conscientious hearing of his word and this is a great means to get assurance Luke 176 thou shalt be called the prophet of the highest for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way that is thou shalt go to prepare the people's hearts that they may receive Jesus Christ that follows after this is spoken of John the Baptist and what was the effect of hearing John preach 
to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the remission of their sins. Not only to give them salvation, but to give them knowledge and assurance of this salvation. Oh, live under the ministry and under the John Baptist's ministry that preacheth repentance and humiliation. And that is the ministry that will give most assurance of your salvation. Fourthly, keep in, com- in communion with God in, in a daily trying and examining your own hearts. Galatians 6.4 If any man think himself to be somewhat when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let, let every man prove his own work and then shall have rejoicing in himself. That is, let a man examine himself and prove his heart. And this will be a means to work joy in the heart, that they shall have comfort and joy in themselves in the assurance of their happiness. Beloved, what's the reason you do not keep assurance? The reason is, you keep not close to God in a way of communion, in these duties of holiness. You keep not to God in a way of prayer and reading and examining your hearts and proving your comforts and and your own estate. And that's the reason you are no more full and no more firm. Secondly, if you would keep your comforts, keep your conscience clear from harboring the guilt of sin. Job 11, 14 and 15, If iniquity be in thy hands, put it far away. If sin be in thy conversation, away with it. Let not sin be in thy heart or in thy house. Then shalt thou lift up thy face to God without spot. Thou shalt be steadfast before him and not fear. This will balance thy spirit and keep thy heart from fear. And keep thee in a steadfast assurance that thou keep thy conscience clear. Thirdly, if thou would keep assurance, gather and heap together all the experiences thou hast had of God in thy heart in times past. I call to remembrance the days of old. Psalm 77, 7. Call to remembrance all the experiences thou hast had of God and of Christ and of thine own grace, the fruits of God's Spirit and thine own soul. And this will wonderfully keep up thy assurance. Romans 5, 4, the Apostle tells us, Experience worketh hope. The more experimental you are, and the more you gather experience together, the more you strengthen hope. And the more hope is strengthened, the more assurance is gained. These are the particulars you must practice in case you would preserve in your breasts this assurance of your effectual calling. Secondly, there are some things you are to avoid and take heed of in case you would perpetuate assurance in your heart. And those I shall comprise under six heads. First, take heed you don't wallow in and give yourselves to sensual joy and pleasure. There's nothing in the world will more eat out spiritual joy and that effectual assurance in your hearts than giving yourselves too much to carnal joy and sensual pleasure, which takes away the heart. The more your joy runs in that channel after sensual pleasure, the less it runs towards God and the comforts that are above. Godly sorrow is the seed plot of spiritual joy. Secondly, the evil of earthly-mindedness take heed of it that if ever you would keep your comforts. There is nothing in the world will more blast your comforts than an earthly mind to be still pouring upon the things of the world. What the philosophers say of the eclipse of the sun, that it is occasioned by the intervening of the moon between the sun and our sight, is true in this case. The moon is an emblem of the world 
if the world get between Christ the Son of Righteousness and our sight will darken our sight of Jesus Christ and bring eclipses upon our comforts and graces. Those men that dig deep into the bowels of the earth, they are oftentimes choked and stifled by damps that come from the earth. So it is with Christians. Those that will ever be pouring and digging about the things of this world, it is a thousand to one if from earthly things damp doth not arise to smother their comforts and quench their graces. The world pierces with sorrow, therefore must needs damp your joys. A candle, though it may shine in the, to the view of all, yet but put it underground, and though there be not a puff of wind, the very damps will stifle the light of the flame. Beloved, though you shine like candles in your comforts, yet bring them but under the earth, and a clod of earth will stifle your candle, will damp your comforts. There is nothing lays a Christian under more loss in his assurance than worldly-mindedness. Thirdly, avoid remissness in religious duties. If you slack in duties, you will slack in comforts. Less duties and less comforts go together. If a man doth let loose of the tacklings of his ship and let the slack the sails, that ship cannot go with so swift a motion, especially if wind and tide be against it. The ship must needs go backward. Believers, they are assured Christians, they are like a, a ship under sail. You go against wind and tide, against nature and against corruption, against temptation and the devil and all. Now, if you let slack your sails and grow remiss in duties, you will quickly slack in your comforts. Whatever weakens your graces and straightens your duties will impair your assurances and eclipse your comforts. And therefore take heed of remissness in a way of duties. Oh, do not less work when you have most encouragement. Fourthly, take heed of spiritual pride. Once you begin to admire yourselves, then you lose yourselves. Once you are proud of your graces, it is a provocation to make God take away your comforts and to make you lose your graces. I mean lose them not in the very being, but in the comfort and exercise of them. Pride is the great murderer of a Christian's comforts. Fifthly, take heed of grieving the Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit, saith the Apostle, whereby you are sealed to the day of redemption. The Spirit of God is a sealing spirit. Oh, grieve not the Spirit. The Spirit deals with us as we deal with it. If we grieve the Spirit of God, God will grieve you. And your spirits shall be grieved, that you shall not keep the joys of the Lord in your breast in the assurance of his love and favor to you. You read in Isaiah 63.10, They grieved his spirit, so he was turned to be their enemy and, and fought against them. Beloved, though God may be your friend, yet he will frown upon you as an enemy and seem to fight against you too in case you grieve his spirit. If you grieve God's spirit, God will grieve thine. And when thy spirit is grieved, thou must needs lose thy comfort. And sixthly, take heed of the sin of hypocrisy. False grace will breed a false joy. False hearts must needs have false comforts. You will never keep true comforts if you have an unsound heart. The upright in heart, they shall shout upon their beds. 
for joy. They shall do it, but hypocrites shall not. Take heed, therefore, of this evil, and you are in a way to preserve your assurance. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.